Hey everyone, my name is Nase DeSanders of Borrowing Tape and I am here with Carrie Mundragon, the writer and director of Tiger Tiger, a fantasy thriller about Blake and Luke who rob a pharmacy and act as Robins-like characters distributing stolen medication to people around the city. Thank you for being here, Carrie. Thank you for having me. So to start off, this film was conceptualized, written, and shot all before the current global pandemic. So first question, are you psychic? And if not, how did you come up with the concept? Um, no, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely not psychic. I think it was like a, it was interesting. It was one of those things where I, I had felt this sort of like angst and I wanted to do something like there's elements of like it being from the AIDS epidemic to, but somebody asked me this the other day. It's like, I don't remember how the, you know, the face mask was like a clear indication of, of, you know, it's like a visual aesthetic element. And I don't know, I was talking to Sam about, it. I was like, God, like, what, like, when was that decision made? I'm trying to remember, you know, I mean, it was written in the script, but it was like, damn, yeah. So I don't fully know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was absolutely perfect. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you go about writing and structuring an unconventional film like this? Definitely, um, it's interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, the first, so the first part of it um, took a very long time for me to write. I'd say maybe two years, just that first 10 minutes. And it was because I was just like, I think it was the old process of how I was used to doing stuff where, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I spent so much time on this like, concept of like a you know pharmacy robbery and then I went down to the location spent a lot of time with the people down there and all of that happened like almost like an overflow of just like immediately like it just dictated the script so I was so I wrote the, that part of it in like a week and a half or like two weeks maybe and it was just, um, and a lot of it was like true too. Like, uh, like I got stuck in the sand, like all, all that stuff actually in the same camp. And so as far out and like uh, fantastical as it seems, uh, it was like, you know, kind of true for a lot of it. Wow, that's amazing. And, and also, sorry, and, and the other thing is like, there definitely was me processing a lot of my own issues that I had during that exact moment that was like, almost in a therapeutic, like, how am I going to process like addictions, love stuff that I've almost like, there's a bit of an, an amends in it, you know, there's just a lot of that stuff. So it got, so it was very personal in that sense too. Yeah. Oh, wow. The power of art. Yeah. <laughs> so could you tell us where the title Tiger Tiger comes from? Um, yeah, that was, it came from like my mom used to read me this children's book that was a William Blake like children's book of poetry and it's just the first thing that um I was drawn to in art and like I I would write um uh, I would draw these tigers and send them to Allen Ginsberg like before he died and that like had a big impact on me on a more like at the root, almost like on a soul level is what it felt like, like that. And it's something that I lost for the next 15, 20 years in school and culture and stuff. And so, and addictions. And so I, it was just strange. It was like, right when I had experienced a pretty significant 
issue with the addiction, like very hardcore rock bottom. I like that was just what came in that sense was was that going back to the back to the roots of of things a bit. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So the opening credit sequence is super funky with the parts, the um, the artistic style of it. So what made you want to have that longer, more artistic opening credit sequence? Um, it was that fell into place in a pretty magical way because I, somebody had sent me Melissa, who's the artist of that. She had done this beautiful, like, like poetry, like art film collaboration with her art. And I just like instantly saw that as like the aesthetic for it that I had been looking for. Cause I knew I wanted something that spoke to the film. Um, and she, we just had discussed it and she immediately got the style of it, which, um, yeah, it was very, you know, like the film very much so is like aesthetically going into it handheld, gritty, but beautiful. Everything's beautiful, but ugly at the same time. So even the score, we, you know, ran it through tape decks to like destroy the sound of it. Um, beautiful score that would go through this pass of like, or like, wardrobe no makeup in the movie like things like that but they still look beautiful like those type of things and so with her it was real simple with the okay let's do stop uh stop motion animation so she was hand painting all those and um in a very like intuitive just let's knock one out boom knock and she just like she's just like a genius all over yeah wow that sounds super cool <laughs> <laughs> So the film's leads do a great job. How was working with Sam Carton and Dylan Sprouse? It's incredible. I think they were like, they're like different sides of a coin in a way that I felt not only spoke to the title of the movie, but like it was, um, it's, it's something that it's almost like they, they, they complement each other so well in a very symmetrical like way for me and you know there was a danger with going cliche like like kind of stepping into maybe the trappings of like casting based off of Dylan or, or the trappings based off off just Sam and I think it can go two directions and I just like had to stay so strong with that part that was like one thing that was so hard on that was just saying no like we both of them together, like it's gotta be that compliment of that. Like, um, and yeah, Sam, you know, Sam's just incredible as well. And uh, and Dylan too is like this thing where he pulled me, when I first met him, he's like, um, he like pulled me outside. We like met and he was, he was like, thanks for sending me like those like River Phoenix clips and stuff. But like, I just gotta tell you, like I'm no way I'm not gonna be able to channel like River Phoenix at all. I just wanna like caveat that and and I just think it's funny because I was like looking at comments and like people like legitimately like think he looks like where Phoenix said. So I like sent him a screenshot of that. I'm like, dude, we, you know, kind of did it a little bit here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. As soon as you like, when I watched the film, I wasn't thinking that. But as soon as you said it, I was like, you know, what? he does kind of look like a young River Phoenix. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So the film was shot in Slab City, California, and the inhabitants of that area took part in the film, both on and off camera. So how did you effectively direct non-actors? Um, it was, I think that the, the double-edged sort of it is like, 
well, first it's building trust, like trust coming in, right? And um, I just was so like, the biggest thing I was fighting for on that was like, don't, like we cannot, A, make a footprint that, that affects that community, that affects, it's essentially a tribe, you know? And like, and I, I didn't want to do what other films have done where they come in with a bigger crew and there's already a separation that happens. And one side, you know, there's a power divide that doesn't work. And I think that we were all on the same playing field with that. And like, there was risks with that going into it, but I just like knew that like, if we go in with the right intentions with this, it's not only good for the film, but just safety of everybody. It's like a family in a way. And so I think that um, allowed everybody to feel comfortable. And, um, and what worked really well, not just with them, but they, by playing versions of themselves in a way, you know, you don't, you don't get a lot of takes with doing that. Um, but it also, I noticed helped the actors because it's like oil and water when those two things kind of come together. And I think they, they push both of each other. So like they, if the non-professional actor down there is doing a great, great job in this way, then like it up levels everybody, you know? And so I thought that, uh, thought it worked really, really nicely. Yeah, but, you, but, you, but like you can't do multiple takes, I feel like. I think that's something a lot of people um, probably don't consider when they're watching films like that, that you can't do too many takes because of the non-actors, it's very cool. So do you have any interesting stories from your time in Slap City? Oh yeah, like there's like just some wild, I mean, just as you were wrapping up that, I was like thinking, I'm like, oh yeah, well, this guy Utah was named Utah because he like came from Utah mm -hmm. and he's in the motel scene and he's like, so, so good. He, but it was interesting. Cause like I had my friend Jay who was also, you know, helping with locations. And so I'd text Jay in the morning and be like, Jay, like, uh, man, I really want, I really want to get Utah in the scene. Like, do you know where he's at? And he's like, uh, so he'd go out and kind of, you know, find him in like one of the camps. And he's like, all right, well, Utah, he hasn't worn a shirt or shoes in like two months. Um, but like we could, he's down, we could shower really quick, but do you have wardrobe for him? So then I'd like go to work. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like we can find. And so then he'd come in and like, we would do that. And then, I mean, just crazy stories of like, uh, I don't even know some that I could talk about, but like, <laughs> Actually, there was one like security guy who had discovered that his like girlfriend had like uploaded videos of them and it just threw him into this like dark place. And so then he like, it basically long story short is he like um, came, he threatened like some of the cast, Dylan specifically, uh, he was drunk. And then he came in like, while we were shooting on the other part of the town there, and he just burst in and he was like bawling, crying. Like, they kicked me out of my trailer, like blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I heard you just threatened like, you know, somebody like, and what is it? What, and so then I like put him in the van and I drive him to like where the people that kicked him out were. And then I like convinced them not to kick him out. And then like Dylan and the cast, they were all like in this drama situation. It was very dramatic, but like they, the moral of that was like, if you're being extorted down there, like it was the, like, I think the main thing was like, don't, like we came in with this intention to not cause any sort of problems with this in the community. And 
it's so important that like we maintain that, you know, and, and it just, that's the rules and the rules like don't apply, like it wouldn't apply in LA to do something like that, but it would apply down there because that's just like different like laws and stuff. Okay, <laughs> this is really cool. Wait, so, do I have time to tell one more story? Absolutely, go for it. Okay, okay, this other one is really funny. So then last day, like the drip truck is stuck in the sand, we're trying to dig it out. And then Dylan texts me and he's like, man, there's like, it's like, I think Cody stole my Nintendo from the trailer. I was like, are you serious? I was like, oh no, like, and Cody was in the film and he lives down there. And it was just this wrap up of the end of that. It was like, it was so symbolic because, you know, Cody was there all the time and he was the first person I met down there. Cody was like shooting his friends with BB guns. And like, I, before I had actors, I was just gonna like make a movie about that. Like, just like, kids just shooting each other with BB guns. And then, uh, because I kind of related to that, but then like, so on the last day, Cody had stolen Dylan's Nintendo and then like drives. So Dylan, like basically, he did it so beautifully. Like, it's like such an older brother thing. He like drove to his middle school and like, just had like a heart to heart sit down with him. Like, hey man, you know, you can't just like, don't steal. Like if, if you would have asked for it, I would have given it to you, you know? and it just, you know, it was just a really touching sort of thing. And um, so I went to Walmart and like bought him like this, all these like, like gifts to Cody and I bought like a stuffed tiger and then I like just dropped it off his trailer before I left. Um, yeah, so that's another cool story. That's so sweet. So were you living in Slab City while shooting or were you guys like living outside the city and commuting in? Yeah, so like when I went down there, I stayed there for a week in the beginning, I think a week or a little bit more. And then as I was writing, so I wrote down there the rest of it, then came back to start prep. My friend had lost his house. This is like crazy magic that happened. So he loses his house, his housing situation. And he had, um, and I had met him in rehab just to be like honest about that. So I, so I meet him in rehab and he was like, I trusted this guy so much, Jay. So I was like, Dude, you know, like, can you, if you don't have, like, it would mean a lot to me if you just went down and stayed with, like, Rabbit Side Camp down there and helped, like, just help me because it's four hours away. And so he went down there and he stayed there for, like, two months. And so while we were prepping, and it was the most critical thing because um, it allowed us to, like, have, you know, open communication with everything and, um, yeah, and it just was like very, very effective in um, in just yeah maintaining sort of a, a balance and like harmony within the community there. And uh, yeah, wow, sounds like a wild time. Yeah, pretty. It was pretty wild for sure. Cool. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, oh. I understand that you were a mentee of Spike Lee. How did that relationship come to be? That was like wild. I mean, he is so, I love Spike so much. I, I have so much love for him. Like he, uh, but the way that I went about it was way different. So I, he, he was doing this Kickstarter campaign and I just like was super annoying. Okay, well, let me just caveat this by saying I was using and, and, and like not well during that time. However, 
uh, so I was really annoying probably on the Vimeo and I just like blasted through it and his assistant, I guess, had sent it to him. And I, the next morning I got a, I got a call from Spike. They said, Hey, like your offer is interesting. Like, let's talk. And so then I like call him back and, you know, I'm trying to pitch myself as a producer. He's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't think you're a producer. Uh, maybe talk to my, maybe talk to the producer that's on it. Like maybe, I, you know, maybe come out here and assist me. So I went out there and it was like, I mean, I got thrown, it was being thrown right into it. Um, and it was one of those things where, I mean, he even said, he was like, look, you got to keep up with this. Like this is, and it was, it was so key for me because it's like, he runs it like a, you know, like a team, like a basketball team almost. And having like, you know, people that this camaraderie of people that have worked with them since like, I mean, it was like Ruth Carter, like, like legends that are on this, you know, film set. And it's just a, that family vibe. And he would just always, you know, he would say, Jason, the producer would say, this isn't just because it never changes making a movie like, like you're going to do the same stuff in from the first one to the last one. No how it's successful, it's all the same in the sense of like you're doing same same process, you know, it's just a, it's just more people or, you know, more money and more days. But um, but yeah, it was like my boot camp for sure. And uh, and I, you know, I made it through the whole thing with Martha's Vineyard with them. So it was like a little bit of the prep or like a couple weeks of the prep, the shoot. And then um, like he would, he also would, I would go to his, uh, he had his editor that was like teaching his, um, sorry, uh, that was teaching his class at NYU. So I could go and like sit in on the class and learn just like, I mean, it was just a gift. It was such a gift. And um, cause I never went to film school, you know? So that was like my, that was my film school. And I think, um, and then the dark side of that too was like, I mean, I was, I was using during that time and, you know, getting clean after that is a lot of shame with that. And I just, yeah, I just felt like he, you know, he had a lot of patience with me, I would imagine. And I think that that it's just, it just speaks a lot to him as a person and yeah. That's and, I, and, I, and I picked up and I grew up watching his movies too. So it was like, um, you know, a lot of that seeped in, I guess, into the process. So noticing a theme, there's a wild story for everything with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of is a wild story for sure. <laughs> so how did Spike's teachings help you on this project? Um, it was really fundamental. It was really like basic stuff in this. Like I knew that at that point I had known enough about the craft of filmmaking because I'd worked on a lot of commercials and um, just grew up with you know, wanting to be a director and a writer and, and, uh, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it was like the idea of in combination with like, by any means necessary, you know, I like, he gave me the sweatshirt that had a patch on it. Right. And like, I apply that. I took, the, there's a context to that, that I relate to so much, you know, and, and I think that it, it, using that in a sense also with making a movie but it's doing it in a very like morally and spiritual sort of way where like gifts happen you know as if you just go with the right intentions you know and I think that that it was key for me because on this film I did it completely opposite of how I'd done anything in my past you know and 
in the past, it was very much, what am I going to get? Like, what am I going to get? What is the world going to reward me with, you know? And, and it's the trap that a lot of people, younger people or, you know, film it. It's just like, that's it. Cause it's part of the culture. And on this, I was like, I can't control, nor do I want to control any of that anymore. I can control what I contribute. And if stuff comes, it comes, but like, that's, that's it, you know? And, and what's interesting about that is like, it does, stuff does come, you know, but it doesn't, it just shows up in a different form. And um, yeah, and that's, that's definitely like from Spike, a lot of that was, was, was in that sense. And, uh, and just how to run a, how to run a, you know, set that's like, like a coach, you know? You gotta flip, you gotta like flip a switch sometimes and just like, <laughs> get stuff done yeah because because like we only had 16 days so it was like a really short shoot um so we had you know had to be really really efficient and none of the locations were locked and a lot of stuff was just like yeah it was, it was definitely intense wow the pharmacy too the pharmacy wasn't locked no like they wanted well there was we didn't have budget for the pharmacy at first because it's like shooting in a pharmacy is kind of like shooting in a bank it was what I realized. Like you have, there's a lot of stuff that like has to get. So me, that guy, Jay and the DP on like our day off were like, let's just go into town and just knock on doors. And we went, the first one we went to was like White Cross Pharmacy down in Brawley. And Shane was just like the coolest pharmacist ever. And he's in the movie and that's the pharmacy. And it was just like, I mean, that guy was such a gift because also we had left a script there. Somebody left a script. And then he calls me like a week later and he's like, Hey man, like somebody left a script here and I read it. And are you, are you, you know, taking any investors or anything? And I'm like, why well, I haven't had one yet, but like, if you want to invest, that'd be awesome. And so Shane, the pharmacist is like the, our first investor of the movie. So that was like really cool. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's, that's the dream. <laughs> I know, I know, Shane. That's crazy. So which films or directors have influenced you as a filmmaker, but also the film Tiger, Tiger? Mm, I would say the, for Tiger, Tiger, it was a lot of poetic realism stuff that was like from, from like the twenties in France, like as pretentious as that sound, but it was like mainly like, it was mainly, a lot of them were like anarchists, like uh, this one, John Vigo. And I just like, they have a little, it's, it's interesting. They call it poetic realism because it's a lot of like real, you know, shooting on location, even a lot of the themes. And I learned this after mine are, you know, have to do with like love one shot at love that doesn't have the best ending back in the day with those it was like working class people real locations some actors in there but there was a hint of like poetry or a hint of like some sort of magic in it you know and they're just so beautiful and so but there weren't a lot of those films and then it was interesting like a lot of stuff that i grew up with as a, as a kid um like sneaking into movie theaters and stuff i would see like uh so the two that I remember clearly, like this movie Tank Girl from like 90s uh, and that movie, which I love still, but it that little, there's little components of that that seeped in. Romeo and Juliet from 1996 somehow made its way into the film. 
in a very like color palette like aesthetic and um and yeah i just sort of a lot of uh the main one would be uh rainer werner fastbinder and he was like um he was a very prolific director who died pretty early but he just shot i guess what i connected a lot to him is a lot of his the actresses had a lot of soul in, in, in a lot more depth than like, I think most films in the seventies had, but, uh, and so with, with me, I think what I relate to a lot with that is like, for some reason, for some reason, it's easier for me to like express my self with like through, or it was with Tiger Tiger through, through a woman's it's weird it's like a surrogate almost like I can express things and I think it's because of the tools or the world there's is is it's I just knew especially with Sam it's like you can get thing it's like you can express that it's a it's it was an easier channel for me to like do that you know with and I think uh I'm sure that was the case with that with that fast binder as well but yeah Wow, that's really interesting. So yeah. what is something you want audiences to take away from your film? Um, I would say it's, it's, well, it's interesting because people have like different interpretations of it. Um, it like kind of affects, I guess, people differently, which I don't, and it's hard for me to make a state statement about it. I don't really know. Um, aside from, I think that there's issues in there that like speak to the like. There's just something about there's this sort of tragedy of like this dark and light, and I think there's if I could have one thing, it would be just to think differently, you know, to, to, or just be open to like having another perspective and, um, and it just was interesting. I don't know, you know, it's interesting with, with a lot of test screenings too, like you just get weird answers on there and like, it's what triggers some people doesn't other people. And that was really what it was, is like just, kind of be open to something new, you know? And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I would. Cool, yeah, I think with a, with a weird film like this, it's gonna get a lot of, a lot of different answers, but that's good. <laughs> weird film. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you currently working on? Any new projects that we can know about? Yeah, um, I, there was one about a, there's one that, it's particularly close to me right now. That's about a little boy magician and um, and his mother and like a prodigy magician. It's called Magic Boy Blood Feather, and I'm. Uh, it's not as abstract as this, I guess. Is like what people. Have. So like that's. It's just, uh, but it's weird. It's like kind of falls in that like non-genre. Like it's like I was looking for examples and it's. Maybe it's like Pan's Labyrinth with like no money or something, or like less money. <laughs> like a little bit more like, yeah, real or something. But but yeah, just I just like I'm drawn to sort of kind of 
beautiful stories, but they also like can't be like it's hard to like put a log line to them because they just sound super dark. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what I learned on Tiger Tiger too. It's like every log line, every that's why I never I could get I, that's why I couldn't get money going into it because it was always oh it's just film is just too dark you know and but it wasn't dark. There's like something beautiful about it too you know and so um, yeah. But I'm but I'm but I'm definitely eager to to jump back in and and get this one going. Awesome. We'll be looking out for it. So thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Carrie. It's been great. Thank you. Thank and you for watching it too. Of course. <laughs> thank you for watching my weird film. <laughs> weird films are my favorite. So of course. <laughs> Good. <laughs> cool. All right. You're great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye.